It's so great to be with everyone today. It is 2021 and we are back on campus for our live podcast. This is Hillbrook School and we are excited to kick off an amazing conversation. My name is Annie Makala and I'm the director of the Scott Center for Social Entrepreneurship at Hillbrook School. And I'm gonna pass it over to my other guests to introduce themselves and then we're gonna dive into what's gonna be a really great conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Annie, it's so good to be back. I am Bill Selleck. I am Director of Technology at Hillbrook School, pronouns are he, him, and, uh, and we're back on the pod. Can we say on the pod? On the pod. Am I, I like cool it. enough? I don't think I'm cool enough to say on the pod, but I just did. So. We're here. Here we are. And yeah, so we're outside in our science garden. You're probably going to hear some airplanes, some students walking around. It's great to be outside, though. Amazing. Two years, and here we are back. <laughs> Such a different uh, experience to be here on this podcast in this outdoor setting. Uh, I'm Gulliver Lavage, the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Hillbrook, pronouns he, him. Um, great to see you all here today. And Eddie, really great to see you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Hello, everybody. Uh, Eddie Moore, Jr. I am visiting from the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I do diversity work. I've been doing it all my career. I've been a part of the independent school world. Now I do some diversity consulting. I'm here at Hillbrook School, chilling with the people, and happy to be a part of the kickoff podcast. It's so great to be with you today, Eddie. Thank you so much. You're going to raise the bar really high for the rest of the podcast season, and we're just really excited about the conversations you've brought to our community and the expertise that you're pushing us to dig into, both as a school community and also as a larger social impact community. We're really excited for this conversation today, and I, I want to start by asking one of the core questions that we ask learners of all ages through the Scott Center. And you can take it in any direction you want, but we ask this two questions, and I'll start with the first one, which is, what matters to you, Eddie? One of the primary things I'm thinking about is wealth and capital. You know, um, the gaping inequities that exist and have existed, I mean, over our nation's time, specifically, uh, but even during the pandemic, I mean, this last year, two years, we've seen some of the greatest wealth accumulated by those who have a lot. And so I think one of the things I'm focused on and really working on is really trying to uh, connect people to the information, to the knowledge that's often missing as it relates to building capital, building wealth. Um, in connection with the issues of justice, equity, inclusion as well. Awesome. The second question we asked, you've already answered it partially, but we'll, we'll ask you to double click on it a little bit, is what are you doing about it? What, it? what is the work that you're doing to drive these conversations forward? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, in some ways this has been my life's work. It started out really around educating around issues of diversity and inclusion and really just getting people better prepared, more informed about the changing dynamics, changing demographics. And I think once you spend some time getting people the information, you got to also look at the structures in which they operate in, the, they operate by, they're a part of, or they will be a part of when you're working with and talking with young people. And so I think that's where I'm at now is really now moving to the action of now that you know stuff you find yourself and can find yourself in powerful positions how can you do stuff about that and I think 
the work of power, privilege, equity, inequities, capital is really where um, I'm trying to provide those who've had it some inspiration to do more, but most importantly, those who've been not necessarily unable, but misinformed. I mean, sometimes it's been a lack of information. I didn't really learn about stocks and the market until my mid-30s. It wasn't really a topic I was familiar with. I thought 401k, you know, I, I, I thought, woo, now I'm really rolling with the Joneses, right? Totally, I know yeah. how to say 401k. And yeah. so now it's really trying to get people to understand what money is, how money works, and um, and, and really building wealth and, and, and capital for their future and their kids' future. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so rare that we actually have that kind of conversation at a K-12 level as well. When we talk about social entrepreneurship education, finance is one of our six lenses. And we believe children of all ages should have finance education. But also that finance is a system that we can shape and shift. And those that are part of it and feel that they have access to it are empowered to shape and shift it. So right here with you at Hilberg, we yeah. do this. Me too symbol. And I like that. I really like cool. that. We say having privilege is not a bad thing, all right? As long as you understand that you could actually do some really good stuff with it. Mm. And it's just that understanding, that building of wealth, building of capital to do good things is an okay mission vision, if you ask totally. me. Yeah. I definitely have a connection there, Annie. Um, learning a lot from you about finance that it's not just about money. Right. So I think an interesting on ramp into some of the stuff you're talking about, Eddie, with students is looking at what that capital is. And so the way we talk about it with my kids who are now first, third and fourth grade is looking at actually how you spend your time and how you spend your energy. And then that's also a form of capital. Did I am I saying that right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. We, we um, look at like the eight types of capital is a framework that we use with our finance education. So, you know, helping people understand experiential capital social capital, like all of the levers for change. And economic capital is definitely one of them. And we should be talking about that one as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, let's face it, we're in the independent school world. I mean, people are seeing more capital here than some people see ever in their lifetime. Yep. Their families will see in their lifetime. And I think it's also important to name that as well. Yes. That there are some levels and some access to capital that some folks have and some folks don't and again not to villainize not to demonize but to say if you have a lot then let's do a lot and so really inspiring kids to think about capital as a way to pursue justice to pursue equity belonging and I think it's something that's been missing from the work absolutely and so that's been something I've been thinking about myself uh, and growing my financial knowledge uh, trying to practice that at home with our kids, our family, but also, again, trying to say, people, say to people, there's nothing wrong with you. Listen, right. you right. can do this. Yeah. Start small and like a flower. Totally. Put water on it every day. I love it. It will grow. Yep. And so that's really kind of the concept. Really cool. Eddie, I know um, you and I have talked about this through the years of uh, the importance of, you know, I think of my, you know, I think of my community, the Latino, Hispanic community. Um, I know you think a lot about um, the black African-American community in this conversation. And we've talked how 
how traditionally um, people who've identified have never had the access to, to, to property, have never had the access you know, to the money that, that, that really funded and brought this country to where it was. And so when you, as you go to schools, as you go to institutions, you, you work a lot in the health, with healthcare workers as well. How does that story translate into things like the 21 day, you know, when you talk about 21 day challenge, um, how, how does that get that message come across again, without shaming or blaming, but with the knowledge that that is something that we do need to understand? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, and always appreciate the opportunity to talk 21 days. Uh, you know, uh, most people have used the 21 day framework for exercise, for diet, for nutrition, and actually it's worked in a lot of cases for people in different ways. And I was just looking for something that people could do. And as a practitioner, teacher, educator, coach, that's been always my model. Here's what you can do once we're done. It's not just enough to talk about it. As they say where I'm from, you can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. And so um, the 21 day was a idea I came up with and thinking about what if we did this for justice? What if we applied that habit-building framework to the areas of justice? And so I think um, the way I think about it now is we've created 21 days for LGBTQ education, right. uh, for self-care, and now we're working on one for entrepreneurship yeah, as well as amazing. financial literacy. And the idea, like you said, so many people have been absent of the information. Nothing's wrong with you. We just haven't learned. We haven't had the opportunity to learn what mutual fund is, ETFs, right? Uh, stocks, uh, uh, opportunity zones. All, exactly. Uh, nonprofit, for profit. I mean, all of that, all of those things are things that I felt like, even as a professional, I was so far away. And so now I'm trying to use the lessons as I look back on my life. What would I have, what could I have done differently if I was 20-something with my first job investing? Just a little, putting little water on that little flower. And so uh, the 21-day action plan and that framework, Cully, has really been a way, whether it's justice education, whether it's diversity education, entrepreneur education, or in this case, fiscal literacy, to say, okay, just try one little thing a day. 21 days in a row just to build it into your behavior pattern. It's not saying you got to read the Wall Street Journal every day. Not saying right. you got to watch, you know, the business channel every day for right. hours, but just to have some familiarity, some comfort, and really started building that into your pattern of behavior. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. You have what I would call a past of being a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> and so, you know. Don't just talk about it, be it. You are a perfect example of that. Will you share a little bit about some of your entrepreneurial endeavors, especially um, some of the, you know, the conference that you have started and other things you've named the 21 Day Challenge and the list is very long, Eddie. Yeah, so. yeah, I appreciate that. You know, uh, my wife says it this way, I'm a dreamer. Mm -hmm. And she's right. You know, I dream big. And uh, we joke around the house at times and she gives me a hard time on occasion to think, what, what, what are you thinking of today or this week or this month? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think um, it's as I think about my internal 
compass. I mean, there's just something that's a part of the way I've been designed that thinks about big picture. And so I think that's what I've summarized, come to summarize and think about it as. It's something given to me from something far greater than me to make a difference. And so the White Privilege Conference, as an example, I mean, I didn't grow up thinking, hey, someday I'm going to be the founder of the White Privilege Conference. I mean, I want to play football, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought I'd be doing. That's what I hoped to be doing. And now here I am, you know, founder of a conference, 23 years old, across the globe, participants and places we've been held and really feeling like it's made a little no dent in the work of social justice. And so um, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying as a um, recovering alcoholic, crack addict who became a PhD, uh, I really got a second chance at life, okay? So I've been given this gift of big picture, of big dreams, and I'm trying not to fall short on any of the ideas given to me by something far greater than me. And the White Privilege Conference is um, um, just one example of that. Uh, the publications that we've been a part of, or I've been a part of another example of that. Um, the Privilege Institute, our 501c3, uh, where our motto is, if you have a lot, you should do a lot, is another example of that. And so what I'm doing is trying to listen, shh, quiet myself to the message from something greater than me and live up to that message when it comes to me. That's how I think about myself from the entrepreneurial framework. I love that. And we'll link to all of those things that you mentioned in the show notes so that people can access the many different resources that and entrepreneurial endeavors that you've started. Yeah, so I love, I was actually just on my phone trying to figure out how long the White Privilege Conference has been going, 23 years. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It's significant. Thank you. On my social media, mostly Twitter and Instagram, as my mom calls it, the Twitters. You're welcome to do that as well, moving forward. Um, I think that, that being an anti-racist educator is becoming something we've been talking about more really in the last like two, three years. 23 years ago, well, Twitter didn't exist 23 years ago, right? So I would love to hear more about kind of the early days and then your viewpoint of how that's changed so much. Now it's something that I think a lot of educators are talking about nearly every every educator I know is talking about that and trying to to learn to listen to to interrupt when needed um, but for me that was not the case as you know living in LA as a, a straight white middle class educator or even before as an educator just it was not even on my radar about right white privilege um, and it should have been but it wasn't and you know I'm, I'm doing the work now but what was it like when you founded that 23 years ago, and, and how are you seeing those changes now? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a good question. I appreciate that. You know, the thing to remember about the White Purpose Conference is it's a black mind design. Uh, uh, started by a black person, ran by a black person unapologetically. It's one of the few national, international conferences that is doing that, has been doing that from the beginning. So early on, not only was the concept challenging for folks, but the fact that it was a black man unapologetic in charge of the conference that was challenging for folks. Sure. And so those are some of the earliest memories I remember is just the shadow of doubt on my leadership abilities 
the fact that I was in charge. Right. And on top of that, this topic was so challenging for folks at that time. I mean, Peggy McIntyre, I mean, really early on and some other scholars, though, not just Peggy, uh, particularly Afrocentric scholars like Naeem Akbar, Joanza Kunjufu, Angela Davis, all those folks had been, you know, naming this topic. Uh, But really the conference, my goal was to create a community of people coming to grapple with that topic at that time. And so I just faced so much shadow of a doubt. And now, when I look at it now, just to see the number of people that even have white privilege as a consulting option is amazing to me. And uh, I got mixed emotions about that because I think um, anytime you become, you come to the highest level of the work, it should take some rigor. It should take some knocks on the head, so to speak. Whatever the profession is, I'm saying teacher, administrator, coach, athlete, you know, whatever, that there is a commitment, a dedication to the practice that gets you to the highest level. And so now sometimes I'm a bit frustrated because I feel like some people are doing their first white privilege conversation. It seems so alarming for folks in that area, but I'm not quite sure people have... Um, endured some of the, 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 the knocks of history, the challenges of history, the resistance of history. And so I just think in today's world, in today's society, as we look at what we're doing with this topic and who's doing the work, that we got to make sure it's not fueled by capital, it's fueled by justice. Mm. And that's one thing I've been really proud of to say that the conference was never started to be something that I could make money off of or something that was about a position or an opportunity. It was to piss people off when it came to white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. And so um, I just want to um, just uh, send a shout out to anybody early on, like Gully, that opened their arms to me when I say, hey, you heard of the White Privilege Conference? I mean, not everybody was saying, no, but tell me more. Um, and even though I feel like today I hear more and more, tell me more, which is great. I think it's a testimony to some of the work lots of people have been doing, not just me. But we're in a different time now. White supremacy, white supremacy, it's been evolving as well. And so I think we're going to see over the next 25 years even more of a need of those of us committed to this work and some of the unique challenges associated with pursuing this work um, that's um, going to be on the horizon for these next 25 years. Eddie, that's great. You know, it's amazing that we've had the opportunity to, to have you on campus today. Um, you've had a little bit of time now to, to, to meet some of the, the Hillbrook community, the parents. Um, you're going to get a chance to, to hang with the faculty a little bit later. Read, some, read, your, read your book, um, Little E and the Big Misunderstanding. But if there's one sort of message you hope the Hillbrook community takes away from your, from your visit today, uh, what would that be? What would be that one thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one thing. Wow. Okay. I'll make this a long one <laughs> sentence. A, with some sub, uh, some I mean, listen, there. the bottom line is this. I mean, we're in the independent school world. I said this to the parents today. 
our kids coming out of these institutions get big jobs, get big opportunities. And what I'm hoping is there can be some kind of framework, some some kind of impact that my work contributes to them being comprehensive, being committed to justice, being, as it says in your mission vision, curious, not certain. That's what I'm hoping. I've been able to contribute a little bit to the parents, to the kids, and then hopefully to the faculty and staff because the next 25 years, the next 50 years of American life is going to be really diverse, but it's going to be facing some real challenges around white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. And we're going to need kids in power positions. We're going to need professionals, leaders that are willing to step up. And so I'm hoping I've in some way contributed to that. But that's it. That's what I would hope for is folks to walk away with that commitment to curious, not certain. And something I've done here today has contributed to that. That's fantastic, Eddie. Absolutely. We're just so grateful for your time, for being here, for pushing us on our own work individually and as a community. We usually wrap up our podcast episodes with you sharing something you've read, watched, listened to that had an impact on you that you might encourage others that are listening to check out. I think the most recent book I'm finishing up is Dying of Whiteness by Jonathan Metzl. Dr. Jonathan Metzl, I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Dying of Whiteness. I was just finishing up the last a uh, few pages, listening to the last few pages um, <clears throat> last night. And what was ama- what is what has been amazing about that is lengths people would go to to harm themselves and their communities and their commitment to white supremacy. Mm. And I think Metzl has done a great job using healthcare as a prime example of that that people would literally die before taking government assistance. Mm. And um, it's reminded me of how persistent and consistent over time we have to be when facing folks that have been that convinced in reference to white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. That would be the thing that I think has been ringing in my head over the last month is uh, Professor Metzl's book, Dying of Whiteness. Thank you so much. We're going to link that in our show notes as well as the other work of yours and others that you've mentioned so that people can continue after this podcast. Um, And thank you so much for being here with us on campus. Thank you for this conversation and so many snaps for all of the work that you've been leading for so many years. How do people find you? Yeah, uh, luckily I've had I have a pretty cool name. If you're <laughs> yeah, looking you for more, <laughs> just Google it. Uh, seriously, it's EddieMoreJr.com. Social media, I'm there under all those names, uh, under there under that one name, or under all of those platforms under that one name, or Eddie knows more. So uh, Twitter, um, Insta, Facebook. You can find me that way, and um, my website is eddymorejr.com. Awesome. And the Eddie Knows More is your last name, M-O-O-R-E. It's M-O-O-R-E. I appreciate that. I caught what you did. I appreciate that. (laughs) Fantastic.